Friends, welcome to Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Word on Fire is an apostolate dedicated to the mission of evangelization, using media both old and new to share the faith on every continent and to facilitate an encounter with Christ and His Church. The efforts of Word on Fire engage the culture and bring the transformative power of God's Word where it is most needed. Today, we invite you to join Bishop Robert Barron as he preaches the gospel and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each one of us. Peace be with you. Friends, for this fifth Sunday of the Easter season, I'd like to return to our consideration of the Acts of the Apostles. We're reading it as our first reading all during this Easter season. Our passage for today is taken from the beginning of the sixth chapter of Acts. And it concerns the church in a way that I think is very compelling for our time. Again, keep in mind this whole book is about the church. It's about the Acts of Apostles. Well, we're all, in a way, the successors of the Apostles. We've all been sent by Jesus. And so we need to look as into a distant mirror to see um, what we should be about. So in this passage we hear, listen, As the number of disciples continued to grow, the Hellenists complained against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So a couple comments I think are in order here. First, how wonderful that from the beginning the church found growth. Now, we shouldn't be obsessed with numbers. I agree with that. But on the other hand, we should be concerned whether our churches are growing. The Acts of the Apostles is is very interested in telling us how many were added and which churches were expanding and numbers and so on. So not an obsession with it. I, I understand that. But yeah, we should be concerned. Are our churches growing? You know, sad to say there are many Catholic parishes today, many of which would be described as thriving. But if we look, let's say, at the patterns of the last 30 or 40 years, They've actually been in a rather steady decline. Now, that's talk or lecture for another day to look into that question. But my point is, we should be attentive to what's making the churches grow, what's blocking their growth. That's an important thing. But notice something else now that happens as the church grows. Dissension and division will arise. You want to know one of my principles of leadership? If I were writing a little book on, like, you know, the 10 principles of leadership, (laughs) here's the first one. If human beings are involved, there will be conflict. (laughs) And I'm going to stand by that principle. I don't care if you're running, you know, a, a kindergarten class, you're running a nation state. If human beings are involved, then trust me, there will be conflict. So, I mean, to a degree, this sort of thing is inevitable. But let's look a little bit deeper at this particular conflict. The Acts of the Apostles certainly details for us many of the ways that the church was threatened, attacked, and persecuted and harassed from the outside. That's certainly well known. And that's been true up and down the centuries. In fact, today, Christianity is by far the most persecuted religion around the world. But see, when the devil isn't satisfied with that approach— he will resort to his favorite tactic. Remember his name, Ha Diabolos, means the scatterer. 
His favorite tactic, I think, is turning us against one another. So when he's not satisfied that enough external forces are being brought to bear, he will turn us on each other. So in our story for today, the Hellenists, so the more Greek-leaning people, they were the early Christians who came from and probably gravitated more toward a Greek-speaking culture. The Hebrews referred to, or Christians, who were more geared to the ancient language and liturgical practice of Israel. You know, and both those groups existed in the early church. Now, may I dare to speak of them as a more liberal and a more conservative group, right? The Hellenizers are probably more on the liberal side, open to the environing culture. The Hebrews may be more on the conservative side. My point is not to get into a debate about liberal conservative here, but just to point out that these two groups were at odds. Um, Sound familiar? (laughs) I don't care where you stop in church history. You're always going to find something similar on display. So watch what happens now. As the early church is trying to deal with this, this fundamental problem of division, So the twelve called together the community of the disciples and sought out a solution. It's really interesting, that laconically stated observation, but listen to it again. So the twelve called together the community of the disciples. So the twelve. From the beginning, the church has been apostolic in structure and leadership. The twelve, the twelve who were the intimate band around Jesus. It's still the case that the successors of the apostles, the bishops, have this task of preserving the unity of the church and governing according to that principle. I go back to uh, Cardinal George of Chicago, who was kind of a mentor to me, and um, he used to talk about all the groups, you know, left, center, and right, that would complain about something in the church or complain about each other. And he'd say, well, that's fine. You can complain, then go home and play with your grandchildren. But I've got to take this complaint and figure out a way to maintain the unity of the church. And he really meant that. I mean, I I knew Cardinal George pretty well. He felt that. His fundamental obligation as a bishop was to maintain the unity of the church. So here, the 12, indeed, are involved. They, They have the leadership task. But notice, please, how they did not solve the problem completely on their own or simply by invoking their authority one-sidedly. Rather, again I'm quoting, they called together the community of the disciples. In other words, they sought the insight, and more importantly, I think, the cooperation of the body of believers. You know, we're talking a lot today, because of Pope Francis, about synodality. And sure, I, I think that's an absolutely valid principle. The Pope, so there's the, the chief, the head of the Apostolic College, the, the successors of the apostles, the bishops. But then we're happy to call together the faithful, to consult the faithful, to listen to their advice, to call upon the wisdom and experience of the community of disciples. That's what they were doing now from the beginning. I think here, too, of uh, John Paul II, they say that when he was Archbishop of Krakow, um, and people would come with, a, with an issue or a problem or a dilemma. 
he would always make two basic moves. First, he would say, what does our faith tell us about this problem? It's really wise, isn't it, that he first would put it within a properly theological and spiritual context, not just a monetary or business or practical context. But then the second move, and it's a point I'm making here, the second move is, now whom can we get to help us with this problem? <laughs> so his instinct was, well, now I, I, not, I, I'm going to solve it. Thank you for telling me I will now, by diktat and decree, I will solve this problem. No, the instinct was, well, now how can I gather the community of disciples so as to address this uh, issue? So now going back to the Acts of the Apostles, they asked the community to select seven reputable men from among them. Now, we're dealing here, as we know, with the first deacons in the church. But the same principle holds in regard to the choosing of priests. When I was rector of Mundelein Seminary some years ago, it was my task to answer the bishop's formal question regarding candidates on the morning of their ordination. So the rector gets up, and then the, the bishop formally asks, you know, uh, do you judge them worthy? And then my response, and it's dictated by the liturgy, is, after inquiry among the people of God and those entrusted with their formation, I judge them to be worthy. Interesting, isn't it? It wasn't just, yes, I, Father Barron, the rector of the seminary, I judge them to be worthy. No, after inquiry among the people of God. That means their parents, their friends, the, the people they work with in parishes. And those entrusted with their formation. So all their professors and teachers and formators. Well, something similar here. They called together the community of disciples and they asked them to choose seven reputable men from among them. See, they, the community was involved in this process under the guidance, yes, and ultimate authority of the Twelve, but the Twelve are involving the whole community in this process of choosing the seven. It's interesting here that in this passage, the apostles clearly say their own ministry is, quote, prayer and preaching the Word of God. So that does belong, I think, primarily to uh, the bishops and their um, cooperators, the priests. When we were in Rome recently for the Ad Limina visit, so the bishops of California and Hawaii and Nevada met with Pope Francis, and uh, I remember a number of things from that, but one that stands out, he told us the bishop's first job and first responsibility is to pray. Well, that's right out of the Acts of the Apostles, isn't it? Vatican II says the primum officium, the first office of the priest and bishop, is to announce the word of God. Well, that's, that's also right here in the Acts of the Apostles. And so the bishop in his diocese is indeed the chief teacher and liturgist and so on. That's right. So these seven deacons are chosen, and their task will be direct or hands-on ministry of service. Good. So the the Twelve called together the community. The community searched among themselves and found these seven, presenting them now for this task. Notice what the author of Acts tells us about their qualifications. It says, Select from among you seven reputable men filled with the Spirit and wisdom. 
Now, grace, as we say, builds on nature, and hence we are to be attentive to the reputation of these men. Do they have a reputation for goodness and kindness, responsibility, practicality, etc.? The church is not looking for angels for its ministries. It's looking for people that have a good natural uh, formation and capacity. But then it asks that they be filled with the Spirit. Spirit in question here, of course, is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the risen Jesus. We're not looking primarily for their intelligence or kindness or other natural qualities, as important as those are. We're looking, above all, for the presence of Jesus in them. We're looking for the mind of Christ. Now, notice something else here. The continuing interaction between the community and the apostles. It says the community found the apostles' proposal acceptable, and then they went about their work, choosing these seven men. So, again, it wasn't just the diktat of the twelve. It was the Twelve calling forth the wisdom of the community. And it's very clever, too, because whom did they choose? Remember the complaining um, uh, group were the Hellenizers, were were the Greeks, who felt that their people were being neglected. So who were chosen? Seven men, and they all have Greek names. The community was clever here, wasn't it? Choosing seven Greeks because that was the concern, that their people were being ignored. So they present these seven now to the apostles. But notice again this beautiful back and forth. It was indeed the apostles, the top leadership of the community, who finally ratified this work by praying over them and laying hands upon them. You know, I think again of all the priestly and diaconal ordinations I've attended over the years, and being a seminary person, now a bishop, I've been to a lot of them. Indeed, it's the bishop who does the ordaining. That's absolutely right. I mean, it is the bishop. It's the successor of the Twelve who does the ordaining. Beautifully, with the same gesture, with the laying on of hands. At the same time, the cathedral at the ordination is filled with the members of the community who in different ways have presented the candidates for ordination. This was not just a one-sided move on the part of the bishop. No, no, a long process of the community discerning and presenting and and, uh, offering these candidates. I always felt that when I would get up at the end of an ordination as rector to, to thank everybody, and it wasn't just to thank them for practical things. Above all, it was to thank the community, to thank the parents and grandparents and friends and family for shaping, choosing, presenting these candidates for the imposition of hands. I just present this, everybody, to you as a beautiful icon of the life of the church that we see from the very beginning. The church growing, but with growth comes conflict. But look how beautifully that conflict was resolved by a very interesting, healthy play between the authority of the Twelve and the involvement of the community. Beautiful icon for all of us to meditate upon. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.